The Start On Demand. On demand. Do you have allergies? It's Food Allergy Awareness Month and World Asthma Day. And this affects both me and McNabb because I'm allergic to cats and I get asthmatic symptoms, while McNabb's son is allergic to nuts. We'll also tell you a Manitoba woman's story of a near-death allergic reaction that she believes can help others stay safe. And we'll tell you about a Winnipeg Blue Bomber who is allergic to nuts and what he has to do to avoid a reaction. Road rage! We've all been angry behind the wheel, but an incident in Winnipeg went beyond anger and turned to shocking violence involving a gun. And should the Royals call their baby Angus Nitro? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Loren McNabb and Greg Mackling in spirit. He's in Croatia. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, May 7th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling is in Croatia. Make sure you follow his exploits on social media at GMACWPG. Loren McNabb, good morning to you. Good morning, my friend. Yes, you have to follow Greg so you know what jealousy is like, I think. (laughs) The pictures that he's been posting on Instagram and Twitter are just spectacular. He's having the time of his life over there. And it really is like this country that holds all these wonders, right? He talked yesterday about the city in Dubrovnik that is the Game of Thrones sort of setting. Yeah. So it's got this medieval feel to it. And then he's got these beach posts and then he's got beer posts. And I'm just like, buddy. I'm going to unfollow you any second now. Like, I love you, but <laughs> hey, killing me. On the subject of Game of Thrones, I just, I got to get this off my chest before we move I forward. I watched the episode yesterday and something happened in the episode. And this isn't a spoiler because something like this happens every episode. But when it happened, this was my immediate reaction. No, God. No, God, please. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> No! And I chose that clip specifically for you, Loren, because you're a fan of The Office. Are you I not? love Michael Scott. I'm trying to remember why he was reacting like that, but it doesn't really matter. The Toby. Point. It was to- Toby's right. I figured it had to do with Toby. Yes, he didn't know Toby was back. Yeah. His uh, much-hated HR rep. Yeah. yeah, so that was my reaction yesterday. And then I later learned, and I didn't even catch this. I, you, you may have seen, as you're, uh, you know, you're on Twitter a lot, uh, the, the, the Starbucks Cup. That was left on the table in one of the scenes. Oh yes, kind of, kind of um, not quite with the times. Yeah, no Starbucks back in the Game of Thrones era. <laughs> Just in I'm the guessing. middle of the table is Starbucks <laughs> cup. I didn't see it, but uh, it was, and I didn't see it on Twitter either because I was able to avoid all of that stuff. Uh, uh, before I watched it, because I know I'm playing a dangerous game by watching it the next day. Uh, so for those trying to avoid uh, spoilers, I will have I will say nothing else about the episode, but I just wanted to get that off my chest so I could move I, forward in a productive and healthy fashion. Yes, no, and I always like to, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I basically, every time you say no spoilers, please, I just like to say they all die. And then, you know, when only a few of them die, you're good, right? So everyone died. That's... That, I, they didn't. I know. Please, well, if hey, anyone's listening, don't panic. That's all. That's always a, a possibility on that that's show. That's what I hear. Like, that's what I hear about it. That the next day you could have a very, very, very different cast. So we're going to talk a lot about allergies today. It's Food Allergy Awareness Month in Canada and the United States. It's Asthma and Allergy Awareness Month around the globe. It's World Asthma Day. You have food allergies in your family, correct? Mm-hmm. My youngest has is allergic to peanuts and tree nuts, which means he carries. Uh, EpiPen with him at all times. And so, yeah, he's been like that since he was 10 months old. How did you learn? When we gave him peanut butter. Yeah. 
So, you know, the rules have changed over the years about when you're supposed to give kids things and not give them when when he was younger. It was within the, sorry, after six months old, you could give it to them. So I was going back to work around the time he was, I think, 11, 10 or 11 months old. And I thought, oh, I better give him some peanut butter before I send him off to daycare because I don't want them to be the ones that, that discover, right? My first has had no issue, so I didn't think anything of it. We gave him a piece of bread with some peanut butter on it and within... 30 seconds, his entire face and neck and eyes were puffy and rashy. And so we rushed him to the hospital. Thankfully, there was no breathing incident that they could tell of. But that's when we learned he had his his uh, issue and he's gone back for testing and he still has it. So it's a life-threatening situation that he lives with every day. And we try to manage as best we can. And, and we want to talk about that this morning because there are a growing number of food allergies. But there's also people out there who may have other types of allergies that we're going to hear the story at 635, Brett, from a woman who has an allergy to horse hair, which I did not know could lead to anaphylactic reactions, meaning like a throat closure, right? I always thought animal hair was more of a just a annoyance, if that's a fair thing, like more of, you know, itchy eyes and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, like the kind of stuff you get with cats. Yeah, like I, I get, if left unchecked, my cat allergy uh, will... Uh, because it develops into asthmatic symptoms. Like well, there was one time where I had a cold. This is in my previous relationship about 10 years ago. I actually had to go to emergency at St. Boniface because I had a cold and it combined with my allergies to my girlfriend's cats. And I, I ended up with what was called asthmatic bronchitis. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I couldn't breathe. And even the walk up that slight slanted hill at St. Boniface into the entrance. I, I had to stop. I couldn't even get up the the incline because I couldn't breathe. It turned out I just needed a shot of Ventolin. That's that blue puffer that uh, people with asthma carry around. But um, yeah, so if, if I don't monitor it or I don't take care of it, then it does get pretty bad. So I have to take a prescription pill called Singulair. I carry the puff around and I also take antihistamines to deal with the other symptoms like uh, sne- the, the, you talk about the itchy eyes, the sneezing, the, the sniffle of the nose. Without the cats in my life, I'm pretty much fine. I have like, you know, ragweed and sort of typical seasonal allergies. But with the cats, I have to basically uh, become a medicine chest and it's kind of frustrating. But you it's do what you need to do. But, it, but it's also, you know, you don't know... Like, like I'm not trying to sound the alarm bells, but if you're not feeling well and then you start struggle with breathing, Brett, or, you know, you start to get itchy, plus you can't breathe, plus your chest feels heavy, those can all be like alarming symptoms, even if you know you can manage it, right? And so that feeling is never a good one because if you feel really off like that, then you start to worry about, well, what is happening with my body, right? Yeah, so we're going to talk a lot about allergies today at 637. You're going to hear the story of the woman with the allergy to the horse. At 737, breakfast with the Bombers, Thomas Miles, linebacker. He has an allergy to peanuts and tree nuts, so we'll hear his story. Um, but And we're also going to talk more about this road rage situation with these uh, suspects who are now in custody after this road rage shooting on McPhillips Street that hopefully will make you think twice the next time you decide to throw your fist in the air if you're mad at somebody. Yeah, the worst thing I think, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I haven't flipped the bird at someone before or at least shaken my fist, but then where does that go next, right? And this is the kind of story that we were just talking about yesterday, Brett, about when you think about if there's more weapons on the street or guns, is this the kind of scenario you could encounter if you just kind of your temper goes up? Is someone next to you, do we have to stop and think about what weapon could they be carrying? And we said we think about that when we're in the States. I, I certainly do anyway, but... 
I, I don't think about that here. So this story is uh, troublesome for a lot of reasons. I remember last year I was driving home from Kingswood. Uh, I was driving up Keniston uh, but through Bridgewater, and there was a guy uh, in like a blacked-out Mercedes coupe. And I don't know what he was doing in front of me. He was he was driving slow or what have you. And I just kind of threw my arm, my hands up in the air like, what are you doing? Come on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he like violently shifted into the lane beside me, slammed the brakes so that he could line up beside me, pulled it, put his window down and was just screaming like a madman at me. And then he sped up and then he slowed back down to scream at me some more. I thought he was going to pull over and attack me. So I just kind of let him speed away and I hung back. The speed limit there is 80. I was doing like 60. Uh, It was scary because, and all I did was throw my hands up. Like, what if, you know, we talk about you need to have a weapon or not that you need to, but the car is a weapon, right? So he pulls up in front of you, slams his brakes, does something dangerous like that. Like, that's that could also have hurt you really badly, right? Just from one moment of tampers flaring. Yeah, so I, uh, since then, that that's, that gives me pause. For the most part, there are still times <laughs> where I start frothing at the mouth. I don't know what it is about being behind the wheel that automatically triggers that sort of rage that you normally don't experience. It is Food Allergy Awareness Month in this country. It is World Asthma Day. And over the weekend, Loren, you got an email from a Manitoban who is sharing the story of an allergic reaction that, in her own words, has shaken her to her core. Her name is Sheila Schultz, and she lives in the Morden area. Yeah, so Sheila is severely allergic to horses, and she's known that for a couple decades now that she has this severe allergy. But something happened last week where she got this crazy reaction that has her speaking out because she says there's something she just didn't know about her allergy that she thinks more people need to be aware of, and she wants to sort of sound the alarm, so to speak. But first, we want to explain to you, you Sheila's backstory on how she got here. 23 years ago, I was at a rodeo in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, with my baby in my arms, and I noticed I couldn't clear my throat. So I ran, and I I got a Coke, thinking it was a really dusty place, and I drank this Coke, and I looked at the lady, and I said, you know, it's really weird. I can't swallow. And I looked up, and the paramedics were running towards me, and that's the last thing I remember. So Sheila says she came very close to losing her life that day. That's what doctors told her because her oxygen levels dropped so low, she completely passed out. They revived her with the EpiPen and some other measures. And since then, she's basically lived with the idea that, yes, she's allergic to horses. She needs to stay away from them, that she needs to always carry an EpiPen. That incident was 23 years ago. And since then, she says she's only had one other mild reaction. It was sort of a rash hive situation. But then last Wednesday, she had to make a quick trip to her vet to get medication for her dog. I walked into the clinic. I asked for her pills. A lady came in from the back, and I'd never met her. And the receptionist, having been told about my allergies, because they do treat large animals there, looked at me and looked at her and said, you guys need to back up, back up. She has been with horses all day. In hindsight, I should have run out. I should have gone. Like, I have goosebumps thinking about it. I should have left the building. But I waited. I took the pills. I walked out the door, and then it started. And she drove by me with, you know, her horse trailer in the parking lot, and I covered my face, ran to my car, and turned on the air full blast. And, but it was too late. So what were you feeling? Um, at first, I was coughing. But another instant reaction for me, which is apparently common, makes me feel terrible, I cry. So I started coughing and crying on the steps, and I thought, okay, not good. 
but I have Benadryl in my purse and all summer I keep a bottle of water so I can take a pill, which of, you know, being as we just had snow, I had no water. So I knew I couldn't really take the pill. So I thought, well, I'll make it home. I got into the truck and about halfway home, maybe a mile and a half from the clinic, I felt like there was a thumb on one side of my neck and four fingers on the other side, just squeezing my throat as hard as they could. It was getting harder to get, to get an actual breath. And I decided I would just go home because as soon as I had the Benadryl, I'd be better, right? Well, as I turned onto my mile road, I realized I wasn't. So I stopped uh, on my own driveway. I, I had the pen in my hand already. I shot the, the pen into my thigh. I just held it and I kept driving and I got out of my house and my husband saw me on the driveway and he came out and I'm, I still had the pen in my leg because I know it says hold it and I just didn't want to, I wanted every drop inside me so I could feel better. I'd never used it. So I took, he, he convinced me I took it out and um, he took me inside and lay down and said, he lay me down and said, are you okay? And I'm like, sure, I will be. Well, he left to go do chores and I phoned HealthLinks. Wasting time, right? Mm-hmm. HealthLinks says, call 911. And I said, why? <laughs> why? I already took the pen. And they said, you could have a secondary reaction. You don't have a second pen. You're too, you know, you're in the country. So I did it. Got to the ER and he read the paramedics report and he said, you were six minutes away from it being over 20 minutes since I took the first epi. You were six minutes away from the first one wearing off. You could have had a secondary reaction before you got here. The point you're calling and telling us about is that you didn't have the second EpiPen. Your husband's now not in the house. So where would that have left you? Yes, I'm the only driver in my house. I'm out in the country. I had one defense and I thought it would save me. And education, education, right? Mm -hmm. So an EpiPen will last 20 minutes. It gives you a 20-minute window to get help. And that message I don't think is out there. It certainly wasn't out there for her, Brett. Now, I know it's a super scary story to hear to think about that panic you'd feel having, you know, fighting for your breath. You talk, She talked about having those feeling of fingers squeezing her throat. So in my family, my, my youngest son is severely allergic to peanuts and tree nuts. And we've been taught over the years that he must always carry a second EpiPen because a significant percentage of people with food allergies, at least, particularly peanuts, tree nuts, and shellfish, they can have that second reaction. So if there is a first reaction and say the ambulance doesn't get there in time, you, you watch the clock and within that 20-minute window of the first injection, we're told you're supposed to give him a second. But Sheila says with her allergy to horses, she was never taught that, that no one in her family knew that, that she's actually been going back year after year because you have to refill those EpiPens every year. And without ever hearing the information about, well, do you even have a second EpiPen at home? So that's why she called us. She wanted to talk about it because she said she admits she wasn't asking the right right questions, but she wanted people out there to also hear her story because even living with an allergy, she found herself in a life or death situation. And she wants people to hear this. She runs a boarding kennel for dogs, and she says she thought she was taking all the right precautions. I have a dog boarding kennel. That's my livelihood. And I have a big sign by my door saying, don't ride your horse here. And if you're riding your horse, you can't come in because I'm severely allergic. And I get a little bit of shock, a little bit of laughter. I also have a full tattoo on my arm instead of medic alert. Um, My dad would like me to get another one on my face. (laughs) 
so it's even more obvious, but I refuse to do that. Um, I try to educate everyone I see and everyone I know, but this experience as a 50-year-old woman shocked me to the core that I did not know what to do after the injection. I had no idea that uh, the uh, this possibility of having to carry a second EpiPen. So your your boy carries not one, but two EpiPens at all times? Yeah, he carries two at all times. But you know, Brett, like the information you get and how different schools or institutions might treat an allergy are different. You know, there was a time when he was at a daycare years ago where they said, well, we'll keep one EpiPen on him and we'll have another in the bag. And I was trying to explain, well, no, say you're out on the field somewhere and he has a reaction, you, you might not have time to go back and get that second EpiPen. And so these are the things you learn as you go and it's the things that doctors learn as you go. But but Sheila, think of her situation. She's at home on a farm, never knew that she needed to have the second pen. If she hadn't called HealthLinks, if they hadn't said, we're calling 911 as we speak, you know, where might she be today? And so she's actually written a letter to the health minister because it opens up all these other conversations about, well, an EpiPen is a life-saving tool, right? So should we have more of them? Should they be in all schools with or without the kid? Should they be in places like rinks or on airplanes? You know, we go on the, the plane with our kids and they always ask, do you have an EpiPen? And we do. But what if somebody else had an allergic reaction? You don't always know when you're going to be allergic to something or you're going to have the kind of reaction that Sheila did. Yeah, I mentioned yesterday I've never actually been stung by a bee or a wasp. I don't know if I would be one of the unlucky who has a reaction to that. And if there isn't someone around with an EpiPen, then I could be in serious trouble. So yeah, maybe at the very least, maybe restaurants should have them, you know, in case somebody consumes something that they didn't know they were allergic to, or they didn't know was in the food or sometimes mistakes get made in kitchens, right? I'm sure they, they take every precaution they can to make sure that peanut oil or what have you doesn't get into different food, but stuff happens, right? So it probably is a good idea to start having these things uh, available as an emergency. And the one thing I think that we've had to be taught over the years, too, is that there is no harm in giving the EpiPen. So a lot of people wait because they think, oh, let's just see if the symptoms get worse, right? Like I started with a rash. We'll just wait and see if something else happens, like my throat might close. Well, by the time you wait for that, it might be too late. So doctors have been saying to us for years, don't worry, just give the EpiPen. So when you raise the point about restaurants or I said about planes, to me, it kind of makes sense. It's kind of like having, you know, the AEDs in a rink. You, it's a life-saving tool. It's super easy. To, it's way easier to use an EpiPen, you know, or, or these conversations we need to be having. McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Fortier is here. Macklings in Croatia. We're talking allergies because it's Food Allergy Awareness Month and it is World Asthma Day. McNabb has peanut and tree nut allergies in her family. I have a, an allergy to cats, which can create serious asthma symptoms if I don't deal with them. And uh, we've rallied the troops to find out what you guys deal with. And Kelly Moore, you were telling me that uh, you don't have allergies, but someone else in your family does. Yeah, I, uh, I have... Uh, uh, I don't know if it's an allergy, but it is an aversion to cigarette smoke. Like my nose gets plugged up, uh, my eyes get watery. So oh, that sounds like an allergy. Yeah, it, I've never been tested for it, but I'm presuming that that's what it is. But yeah, in our family, my wife got stung by a bee a couple of uh, years ago, and her arm just puffed up like a balloon. 
Wow. And uh, yeah, so it was very scary. Like uh, if uh, if she had not, uh, uh, if she had been stung twice, that that could have been uh, some pretty severe circumstances. And our granddaughter uh, has an asthmatic condition. We were on holidays a couple of years ago when they had the really bad forest fires in BC. We were visiting our youngest daughter at the time in Kamloops, and of course they everybody was evacuated in the interior, and they were in the arena and hotels everywhere in Kamloops. Well, with all this smoke. Our granddaughter had uh, asthma problems. Try getting her into the hospital mm. to, you know, to get uh, any kind of extra medication for that. So we uh, we dealt with it as best we could. Uh, but yeah, those are just a few of the uh, examples of, uh, of allergies that have affected our family. Was she having to take the puffer on a near constant basis? Or? Yeah, yeah. And, and there are certain times of the year where, like right now when the farmer's fields are getting ready and then in the fall when... <laughs> When they're they're coming off. That's our uh, our oldest daughter. She has severe grass allergies, and boy, that she's just sniffling and snuffling uh, the the whole time uh, when when that's happening. Jeff yeah. Fortier, and I was asking you, are you allergic? And so let's just recreate that conversation because it was funny. <laughs> Jeff Fortier, do you have any allergies? Not that I know of. Do you know anybody in your family who has any allergies? Not that I know of. You ever been stung by a bee? No. Maybe I am allergic to bees, though. But but if one comes around me, I'm going the other way. <laughs> I'm running. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm not sticking around. Uh, what about you, Bron? I've been very fortunate that I don't really have allergies. The only thing, my my mom says I'm allergic to feather pillows. I don't know if that's like a medical diagnosis or something she just decided or I don't know, but... You don't really come across feather pills that often anymore, no. anyways, do you? So no. So Maybe I've been when lucky. You were like younger, that. something must have happened. What's that? Something must have happened when you were younger. Then yeah, that uh, could be. I do got rem- attacked by a chicken. <laughs> 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 I remember Kelly back in the day, many moons ago. You're calling a moose game, and I was in Fort J seat pushing the buttons, and you were complaining. And it must have been Chicago, it right? It was in Chicago at the Allstate Arena. Where smoking is not only permitted, but encouraged. (laughs) And it was right by the press box. And he's like, people just blowing smoke in his face all through the game. He could barely talk. Yeah, it was like they allowed smoking in the arena. And and by the the end of the second period, the smoke's just rising to the (laughs) top where we're doing the game from. And I, I am literally living and dying in three quarters time by uh, by that uh, uh, part of the game. Yeah, it was it was always. I, I remember I always did my snippy where smoking's not only allowed but encouraged. Yeah. <laughs> do you have to get like do antihistamines or anything like that help if you ever deal have an I attack? I've, I've never I've never tried it before. It was just one of those things where you tried to stay out of smoking areas, but that was impossible. Yeah, yeah. With, with my allergy to cats, it's funny uh, because I am. The, the woman I'm dating now is my the th- only a third sort of long-term girlfriend I've had in my life. But each of the three women I've dated have had cats. My first They're one, trying like, to tell you something, Hitman. They're <laughs> trying to tell you something. The first one 20 years ago, her name was Leah, and she actually listens to this radio station. So good morning, Leah, if you're listening. She had two cats named Nightmare and Chaos, <laughs> which were very aptly named because they could. Uh, she had a second bedroom and where the cats would be in there. But they would get out. I remember we came back to the apartment once, and they had gotten out of the bedroom on top of the fridge into the cabinet and rifled through the box of cat treats. Oh, wow. Uh, that is then, chaos. But she uh, she ended up getting rid of the cats, I think, for me. So I And I still feel bad about that. Uh, I feel guilty about that. But then the second woman I dated 10 years ago, we started dating, stopped dating for a few weeks, and then we got back together. She had since adopted a cat. And I remember standing there in her apartment, and there was this fight-or-flight moment, like, oh, my God. 
Do I choose your own adventure? Do I turn to page 43 and continue dating? Or do I turn to page 36 <laughs> and, and exit stage left? And then on my first date with my current girlfriend, she said, I've got cats. And I thought, damn it. Why, the- <laughs> why can't it be a parent or something? I have a... I have a girlfriend who dated a guy for years, and she used to talk to the cat when he was out of the apartment because she had a terrible allergy, and she would just go right up to the cat and be like, you're not going to win here, man. I'm going to get rid of you. Sure enough, you know, she she lost. The cat the cat won out. But when you're in those relationships, you have to either power few or get out because, like, I, I'm allergic to cats, and I cannot stand to be around them. Yeah. yeah, and it's almost like the cats know who's allergic to them, and that's who they gravitate to. Yeah, they like to sit right on my, like, yep. one of them will crawl as close up to my face as she can, yeah. and if I if I try to chase her away, she turns around and sticks her butt in my face. Uh, don't What's they that cat's name? That's Clea. Don't they breed cats that uh, don't fire off allergies in people at this point? Well, I yeah, guess I aren't could, those they're like, those, those like naked cats? cats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they they look like minions of Satan. They're yes, frightening. You don't need that. That's terrifying. <laughs> Shave Jeff those Ron? cats and see what happens. of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. This question went up yesterday afternoon and you've still got time to cast a vote. Road rage, it's a thing. Have you ever gotten angry enough on the road that you could see yourself getting violent? And 68% say, I'll yell a few obscenities at times, but that's as far as it goes. 25% say, never, behave yourself, people. And 7% say, yes, I've had a tussle or two. 7%, that's a low number in the context of a vote where we're going up to 100%, but 7%, that's, that's a lot, Loren. No, that, yes, that is actually, that's actually concerning, right? That that might be the reaction from people. And the reason why we're talking about this is because we've been hearing in the news with Jeff Braun and we, and it came up late yesterday with the police about this really extreme case of road rage that happened in Winnipeg. And we were just yesterday talking about that gun that was allegedly pulled in a bar on Arlington Street and about whether a rise in, in weapons on our street should mean we should be concerned about seeing weapons in more, uh, you know, normal settings, if I can use that phrase. Um, so this incident that happened, it occurred on Saturday night and police were called to reports of a shooting at Kingsbury and McPhillips. What they learned when they got there that was that three men in one vehicle had gotten into some sort of argument while on the road with two men driving in another car. And so the cars, for whatever reason, pulled over in this parking lot and that argument continued and then obviously escalated. Police have no idea what led to the flight, but at some point a gun was pulled, a man was shot, and he was sent to hospital in critical, now in stable condition. Obviously, there's more to learn about this story, Brett, but Winnipeg police are warning drivers not to confront others on the road. Here's Constable Jay Murray. The vast majority of, of mistakes that happen on roads are, are usually dealt with a little wave, maybe a finger, not too much happens there. But uh, once in a while you have an individual who's very passionate about their driving and uh, they, they may try to engage the other driver. So um, I don't want to suggest that these, these victims did anything wrong, but if you can prevent it, don't pull over and engage with somebody who's upset. Um, continue driving and if this person continues to follow you then you can contact police now i admit uh, in my younger years i had bad road rage where i'd be screaming and yelling i think i even chase after a guy at one point Uh, that's calmed down in recent years but even just two weeks ago i was in the car 
uh, with my girlfriend, and some guy cut her off real bad, and I'm flipping the bird out the window and screaming, and she's screaming at me to shut up uh, because I guess she was concerned about this exact kind of thing. Yeah. So thankfully, nothing happened. But that's going to give me, this story will give me pause the next time someone cuts me off, and I just got to take a breath. Well, you, I've watched people, uh, you know, a, a horn will get honked. And so the person who's getting honked at, it's annoyed that they're being honked at. So they'll slam on their brakes or they'll swerve over into the other lane, like, you know, using their car as a way, sort of a, a flipping the bird with their car, like, you know, uh, t- not attacking them with it, but causing the situation. And so people are getting like, they get so quick to anger. We just got a text from a listener saying, the only thing that triggers my road rage is cell phone use while driving. That just upsets me to no end, knowing the statistics of deaths and injuries and accidents from using your cell phone. It's still going on every day in volumes. And I have found myself, when I see somebody on the phone, particularly, like, I've I've seen people with the, like, the phone right in front of the wheel, like, just so obviously texting, going 110 down 75, and I will be yelling, get off your phone, because it infuriates me. So I... I see where that rage can come from, but to know that this escalated to the point of a gun being pulled is a whole other level. And I'm wondering, too, like, why are we so prone to rage when we are driving? And you mentioned it earlier, the car itself is a weapon. You're driving 3,000 pounds minimum, typically, of motorized potential carnage. So do you think just the fact that you are controlling this power sort of inadvertently makes us prone to anger because... We have this weapon in our hands. Or that invincible feeling because you're sort of protected. It sort of feels like a shield. I I don't know. I have watched people do that. You know, pull forward, slam on the brakes, shake their fist at you, go around, um, you know, and then you start to think like, well, you're, you could easily just, you could just as easily hurt me right now with or without a gun in your glove box. Yeah. So more feedback at 204-780-6868. You can keep that coming in and the road rage conversation will not go away anytime soon. So what should Prince Harry and Meghan Markle call their new baby boy? Chip. Chip? Mm-hmm. Why Chip? I don't know. Are you hoping that they'll have another boy and they can name that one Pepper? Ooh, be very Manitoban. No, I, I love this. This thing came out on Twitter yesterday where, you know, Meghan and Harry had their baby. And they said within the next two days, so sometime today or tomorrow, they're going to reveal the name of this child. And so there was this suggestion that they were looking for this perfect American English name because, of course, she's from America and he's obviously from England. And what would that be? And that had like a slew of hilarious suggestions, at least in my opinion, you know, of what they could call him. Uh, like the American one might be more um, Chip was the one that came up. Chuck Trig Track Bing Buzz like. <laughs> Buzz <laughs> Just you know those really like seriously American names but you had one that you just died over Brett this morning Yeah I can't and I can't remember where I saw it but uh, one suggestion was Angus Nitro <laughs> which I just think that is <clears throat> tremendous I mean how could you not bow how could you not bend a knee in front of Prince Angus Nitro uh, someone else suggesting that the, the name should be they're they're saying that it would be a travesty It'll be an utter disgrace if Meghan and Harry don't name the royal baby either Steve, Tony, Bruce, or Thor after all they've done for the <laughs> Bruce. world. And game. Those are the names of the Avengers, of some of the yes. Avengers. Steve yeah. Rogers, Captain it's America. Also, Go ahead. Bruce is a pretty good American name. Like, I like that. Like, that's very, you know, I don't know, 
current, so to speak. Like, all, like the royals end up repeating names over and over again, like Edward and Charles and Louis and Charlotte and Elizabeth and all that kind of stuff. So maybe they could find a hybrid somewhere, like Arthur Bruce. Yes, yeah, I kind of like that. You're right, yeah, because I saw someone else saying they'll probably go with Henry. They always just recycle the same ten names. Uh, but then this is another mm-hmm. one here, and I, I don't know the the context here, but someone says congratulations on the birth of Gulfstream Windsor. So obviously, <laughs> social media having fun with this, and I wonder. I hopefully Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle, if they're seeing some of this, hopefully they're enjoying it as well. Uh, yeah, but you, it's you mostly said- tongue in cheek, but but King Brad sounds pretty good. Brad, just like a nice Bradley, Earl of Brad. I feel, I feel like if you're going to go with Brad, it would have to be Bradley. King Bradley seems to have mm-hmm. a nice ring to it. I'm it's not a sure nice about name. King Brad. And that's not a knock against Brad. I think King Brett would sound kind of dumb, too. Hal Anderson is here alongside McGarry and McNabb. Hal, good morning to hello, you. Hello, hello. So the baby names. Oh, uh, yes. What was the one that you liked, Loren, early this morning? I like, I think, Chip. Was it Chip? I like <laughs> Chip. Is that I like the, I Chad. Heard that, I heard that at home. That's not a serious uh, wish, though, is it? No. No. Well, there was a suggestion that went out from a couple of the British, you know, more tabloid-type papers, Hal, yeah. that had, you know, that they were looking for this perfect blend of names mm. because they've got a blend of cultures and backgrounds. Right. And so could they find a way to have a an American-slash-British name? And so then Twitter, of course, exploded with, like, all these very American suggestions and also those kind of newer names, you know, that are uh-huh. out there, like... Harper and Hayden or Caden or those kinds of things. Well, any so, other or mo- how? Any what other? Mo- how? Well, somebody suggested that yesterday. Please don't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, they're a millennial couple. You would think they would name their kid Avocado or Sage or something. You know, <laughs> yes, that's what I would yes. expect. But uh, Blue or Egg or yes. whatever those popular ones, something right. like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. One, yeah. Well, I think I my favorite know. suggestion so far. Uh, this is from uh, uh, Ryan Perdido. On Texas, they should name the royal baby something bad, like Angus Nitro. Yeah, I heard that one earlier. I like that one. Yeah, it's you know gives you sort of oh you you know, kind of perk up yours and pay attention. Now I did a bit of research, guys. If you're interested, yes. so okay. the odds makers, yes, the odds makers say Alexander is num. That's the leading contender at three to one, and then rounding out the top five, Arthur, James, Spencer. And Albert, but then there are some real long shots, and there is no rhyme or reason to these picks. Tyrone, okay, <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen. Two hundred to one. I like it. Wayne, two hundred and fifty to one. Those are the long shots, and then Barack, which would of course uh, honor a former U.S. president, one hundred to one. Donald, uh, oh my God, two hundred to one. And uh, so those are, are what the odds makers are saying. And I guess we'll find out tomorrow and probably uh, get a look at the kid tomorrow, too. What if they would, went with oh. something like The Rock? Not just Barack, but yeah. The Rock. The Rock. Yeah. yeah. No? Or, or, uh, do, I think, or do you know, something, much... or do something, sorry, Laurent, do something like Game of Thrones, you know, where it's like mm-hmm. that huge, long name, right? I, I don't watch the show, but isn't that right, uh, Brett? You know, it's like the... Well, some of them have longer names. I mean, they could just go. One suggestion was Joffrey because he was one of the kings yeah. of the seven kingdoms. He was a terrible person. Mm. Um, but yeah, because usually it's like uh, King Joffrey Baratheon, first of his name, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah. So yeah, that, that would certainly make you want to bend a knee to mm. the royalty. So. Yes. McNabb, before we go. 
to football and allergies all in one segment. I have three text messages that I want to check in here. Sure. That, that sort of run a gauntlet of the topics we've discussed. So we talked about allergies and how one of our listeners said, my granddaughter lives in Winnipeg and is allergic to the cold, and it's an actual allergy, a life-threatening allergy that I didn't know existed. Well, we have another listener who says, sister-in-law's old boss is from Nicaragua. She's allergic to the sunshine. Not a happy childhood. Had to sit on the porch and watch her friends play outside. So that would be awful. Mm. Second one. I can't even imagine. I've heard of that here too. So I can't even imagine in a country where there's so much more sun. Yeah. What do you do? You just got to, you can't go out during the day. So that has to be frustrating. Uh, Second one is on road rage. And this one from somebody on cyclists. They say, cyclists who think they are pedestrians triggers road rage in me. They disregard road rules and ride through crosswalks. If they want to use a crosswalk, they should dismount and walk their bikes across. Uh, that one bugs me, too, when cyclists don't obey the rules of the road. They they want you, as the, the motorist, to share the road with them. But then when they run red lights or blow through stop signs, that makes me angry. But also, do you not find, if you've ever been on a bike or even as a pedestrian, the opposite happens? Like, as soon as you're on the other side of the street, so to speak... You're equally upset with the driver. Oh, that yeah, road rage can come from other spots. That switch between uh, between mentality from pedestrian to driver always makes me laugh when I catch myself doing it. Because mm-hmm. if I'm pulling into a parking lot and there's a slow pedestrian, I get mad. And then as soon as I get out of my car, <laughs> I start saying, slow down <laughs> to I the know. other drivers. What? You don't like where I am right now? Go around me. Like, yes, that's exactly it. Exactly. And then the third one from the Heberts from Emerson on the baby names. They say Harry and Megan should name their baby Arthur Lucas. Mm. So that sounds like a good combo. That is a good name. It, that also sounds superhero-y. Arthur Lucas. Yeah. Here he comes to save the day. <laughs> I just threw in some Mighty Mouse. Apparently the, sure. the royal hero is Mighty Mouse. Well, so, hey, he's mighty. Oh, uh, well, you know who else is mighty? Thomas Miles. He is a linebacker with the Blue Bombers, and it's Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca. Better place for you. Now, Thomas Miles has an allergy to peanuts and tree nuts, and we're talking a lot about allergies today because it's Food Allergy Awareness Month and World Asthma Day today on May 7th. Now, Thomas was diagnosed at age one. He carries an EpiPen because he has had an anaphylactic reaction at age one and again when he was 14, but nothing since. Now, Thomas, you wouldn't remember what happened at age one, but what did your parents tell you about your reaction? So when I was one, it was um, a visible reaction, lots of hives and uh, I guess crying or whatever. But at 14, it was um, the so typically with an anaphylactic reaction, you often get a um, an odd sort of tingling or burning sensation in your mouth. And then you can feel your airway start to close. And so that's uh, that's as far as my reaction got. And then I used the EpiPen and it just went away. What has that left you with? And I, I want to relate to everyone too that, uh, so my youngest, he's six years old and he had the exact same thing just before he turned one. We gave him peanut butter as a test for the first time. And sure enough, uh, hives and a rush to the hospital and, and all the rest. And so he's been carrying an EpiPen ever since. And I always think about the time, you know, that might come where he has to self-identify or identify that he is in the middle of the reaction. So were you alone at 14 and you had to, did you have to EpiPen yourself or anything like that, Thomas? Well, I, my parents were there, but I did use the EpiPen myself. And what it left me with actually was a um, enhanced sense of confidence because the EpiPen works. So, um, since then, I mean, I've, the allergy has 
really kind of moved to the background in my life um, because, you know, I know as long as I have an EpiPen and I make smart food decisions, then I'm going to be just fine. Well, when it comes to making those smart food decisions, like, is this something you have to mention every time you go out to a restaurant? Uh, yeah, that's definitely what we recommend. So I do a fair bit of volunteering with um, the Allergy Center at the Children's Hospital and also with Food Allergy Canada. And um, any allergist I've ever spoken with um, always recommends um, that every single time you go to eat somewhere unknown, uh, you bring it up with the chef or the the server and they can take it to the kitchen because you really just don't know unless you ask. And it's not something that's worth uh, rolling the dice on. You put in a lot of faith in the system, whether it's restaurants or schools or even just grandparents. But then I like the idea that you mentioned the confidence that you got from knowing that you had the power to potentially at least control a little bit of the allergy. What what has you volunteering with the allergy groups in Winnipeg? Why do you speak out? And is it particularly with kids, Thomas? Yes. Yeah, most of the work I do. Well, kids and with their parents. Um, So when I was diagnosed, I was one, I was 93 um, and then growing up, the school system and the public in general just didn't know a lot about allergies. And we've come a long way in the last couple of decades. And um, for kids, though, back then, I know that it was a very, because uh, I felt it and lived it, it was a very isolating experience, um, especially because there was a lack of understanding. Now, things have gotten better now and people are more aware of the sorts of challenges that kids are facing uh, with their allergies and feeling different. Um, but there's still a certain degree of um, guidance and mentorship that, um, that these, these children need. And so that's what a lot of my work um, with the food allergy community has been, um, kind of uh, helping kids understand that it's, it's not that bad and that there are ways around it. And that also, um, there are a whole bunch, whole bunch of other kids just like them. Um, and so obviously the, the numbers, the prevalence of food allergy has been increasing. And um, that means that it's not such a, a unique thing anymore. And there are a number of programs, both in Winnipeg and nationwide, that connect allergic youth and uh, help them, I guess, find solidarity. When it comes to the, the allergy that you have, do you have to ingest the nuts or does something like straight physical contact uh, trigger any sort of a reaction? No, so you actually need to ingest uh, peanut protein to have an anaphylactic reaction. So it's um, an urban legend, uh, really, to react to the smell or to the touch of, say, peanut butter. Um now, you might get a hive or some sort of spot reaction if you were to touch peanut butter, but you can't actually go into anaphylactic shock without ingesting it. Um, the one exception with um, peanuts would be if someone were to, you know, like crack a shell right under your nose um, and the particles went airborne, you ingested it, then you could react. But um, that is just a, a very remote chance, um, highly unlikely um, even on airplanes, I mean, that's the the one that people always think of. But uh, I was speaking with Dr. Gerstner, a, a leading allergist in Winnipeg, just the other day, and he said um, that the chances of reacting on, air, on, on an airplane from peanut particles uh, are just, it's infinitesimal. So, uh, yeah, that's one of those things. I mean, there, there's still a lot of um, kind of misunderstanding regarding allergies. And I know allergic people who think that they can react to the smell. And uh, so that's still something we're working on. 
when it comes to the fact that you can help these kids in the off season, or, and even during the summer, I know you do speaking events. You're from Winnipeg. You're born in Winnipeg. So beyond the allergy uh, advocacy that you do, what do you do in the off season in terms of like, is there a day job or an additional hobby? I'm doing my master's in business administration at U of M right now. So I started that uh, a couple seasons ago. And so I, I usually take a class or two during the season and then a full course load in the winter. So that takes up most of my time. And aside from that, yeah, I've, there are a number of um, volunteer things I, I'm involved with. And I try and do a bit of traveling as well. Sorry, did you say you take classes during the season? Yeah, I uh, actually always have. So I didn't finish my undergrad degree before I got drafted. So that fall in Toronto, I you know signed up for a couple distance classes. And then I graduated in 2016 and started my master's the next, uh, next winter. And so, yeah, I've kind of just always been in, in school when I've been playing football going back through my university days. So before we let you go, we got to ask you about the football. How do you feel as we get ready for the 2019 campaign? Very excited. I think we've got a great locker room. We brought back a lot of the key players that we've had the last few years um, and some exciting additions as well. Um, We believe in the locker room that this is a team that can win it all. And uh, we've got full faith in our coaching staff and our front office and really everyone involved from top to bottom. So we're very excited with the direction we're heading in and really can't wait to get started. Thomas Miles, linebacker with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for Breakfast with the Bombers. Once again, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. I can't decide if I'm annoyed or if I get it or if I'm happy with what happened uh, after a hockey game last night. Well, okay, so interviews are usually notable for what was said during them, not what wasn't said. So what went down here, Loren? Okay, so last night, Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins was interviewed by Sportsnet reporter Kyle Bukoskis after the game. And we're going to play you that interview in a second, but just it's worth pointing out that this is a post-game win interview. Boston won the game 3 nothing last night, defeating Columbus to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. So, in theory, Brad Marchand, who is a thorn in a lot of players and fans' side, should be happy. Take a listen. Thanks, Jim. Brad, you said after the third game of the series, there's no panic in the room. What can you say about the way your group handled the next three games and ultimately advancing to the Conference final? We did a good job. No, Tuka Rask was saying, this core isn't getting any younger. What do you make of the opportunity that lies ahead of you? It's been fun. So I see where this is going here. I'll ask you one more about your line. It got back together. You had said the chances over there were just starting to bury it these last few games. What kind of zone are you three in? We're good. Thanks. (laughs) Well, that was worth it, Jim. (laughs) We're good. Uh, that is wonderful. So here's what happened then, Loren. Now, Kelly Moore has since reached out to Kyle Bukoskis from Roger Sportsnet, and he asked Kyle, was he prepared for what happened? In reading the, the tea leaves a little bit, Kelly, and, and even just in, in some of his post-game press conferences and in, in other games in, in the series, and you know, I remember after Game 5, you could tell he was getting fed up with some of the questions he was being asked, and David Pasternak at the podium stepped in and said, you know, I'll, I'll handle this one. Marshy's a little bit crispy tonight. Um, so I think there was 
there was reason to to think that that it could have gone that way. So I was in the back of my mind a, a little bit prepared that that's the way he was going to go. And and then as you know, Kelly, you can only control what you can, and and what you can't control is how your interview subject uh, responds to the questions you ask you, no matter how great or, or how bad uh, the question is. So all you can do is uh, is just roll with it. And then he, he continued uh, that uh, that that same that same way of going about answering questions with the, the media and the, the scrum in the dressing room after the game. So uh, you can tell he had his mindset on, on handling things a certain way last night, and, and that's his prerogative. So for us, uh, you just you ask the questions and do what you can, and if they don't want to answer it, then, then so be it. Now you're going to hear more of that interview with Kyle Bukowskis from Rogers Sportsnet with Kelly Moore uh, throughout the day. I know that some of that is going to be on Jeff Courier's show, which is between 10 and 1. But I just uh, looked into this, like, what what's going on? And uh, it's it might be a revenge thing because there was an interaction ahead of Game 2 in Boston. And this was a couple of days after Brad Monchamarchand stopped on Cam Atkinson's stick late in Game 1. So here's how that exchange went between Mar- Shand and Bukoskis. Brad Bruce Cassidy was mentioning maybe some hesitancy from David Pasternak of late. What have you seen lately from number 88? He's such a dominant player in this league. Uh, doesn't take him long to, to create something. So, been a big player for us all year. He has in, in playoffs as well. He didn't keep going. Did you manage to get your skate resharpened after Thursday? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and he just skated away. <laughs> just skated away after that. So, he gave him a good answer there. He, a a yeah. good, thoughtful answer. And then uh, Kyle Bukowski's kind of snips at him and he says, that's it. I'm out of here. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have a hard time liking this guy, but at the same time, I can appreciate those interviews sometimes, you know, like if you're in a bad place, sometimes you get asked questions that are frustrating, but you're a professional athlete. You just won a game. Like, is, is there any room in your life to ever be a bigger person? And I think that would have been it. I don't, I don't know. I don't get I, his attitude. I do not get. Well, and a lot I, of, a lot of guys uh, that I, who I know who are into sports will often say like, why do they have to do these stupid interviews? Yeah. yeah. And, and I, and I hear that because sometimes you're like, you know, the, like they'll just have lost the Stanley Cup final. It'll be how you feeling right now. You know, and they're how like, do how do you I'm think feeling? I'm feeling? Like, I want to smash the stick over someone's head. So I totally get that. But in this scenario, like, I didn't know the backstory when I was watching that clip make the rounds last night on Twitter. And so now hearing a bit of it, I, I guess maybe there's some room for understanding. But I don't know. More than anything, I'm impressed with the, how Kyle Bukaskis of Sportsnet handled that. Like, like it's hard. You get when you're when you're doing an interview and someone's giving you sort of the stiff arm. Like that's a full stiff arm play there, and you can't get anywhere with it. There's nowhere to go but say, like you did. See what you're doing here. Going to try one more time to see if I can get more than three words out of you. Nope. Okay. Let's wrap this up. Like yeah, that's one of the fun things too about sports media, right? Like they, they, you know, they, they obviously they're taking it seriously, but there's room for them to be a little tongue in cheek and to just sure. kind of to call it like right as it's as it's happening. All right, I, I know that you're mad, so I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna power through this and then we'll get on with our lives. Yeah. <laughs> I, which yeah, I mean, we should try that sometime. Let's see if that would get anywhere. Get us anywhere. Can I actually, oh. uh, you know what? I, Let's that, test that, it. That sort of happened uh, with me once when I was Charles Adler's technical producer. And we, uh, 
We, Charles was, you know, he, he was, he needed a vacation and he was sort of get, just approaching the end of his rope. And we, our very first guest uh, that had been booked for Charles, uh, he, he wasn't happy with the guest. The, the guest was providing a whole bunch of one word answers, two word answers, very mm-hmm. short. And <laughs> Charles was sitting in the control or in the studio, just shaking his head. And he, he says, he turns his mic off and says, we're blowing this out. So the very first interview of the show and Charles bailed out of it 87 seconds in because he was so mad and he said I'll just do my own thing and he said okay thanks goodbye and that was that I mean, like in the in the sports world, I think in some of those interviews, like there's a difference, right? When you invite someone on to talk or sometimes people ask to come on and talk, you certainly expect more than one word answers in the sports world post game. I don't know how it works all the time, but those players are sometimes preordained, like they just decide who they're sending out or it's possible Brad Marchand said, yeah, I'll do this because he had a point to make. Right. And so his point was, I'm not talking to you. And so I guess, well, well played, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we have a listener writing in right now to say Brad Marchand is the very definition of a man baby but you know i don't know well hey i'm enter- i am entertained and yes. the, the question uh, asked in gladiator are you not entertained <laughs> yes i am very entertained by so what you're happened. giving a thumbs up a gladiator thumbs up to that one yeah right? i love it i think it's i think it's really funny <laughs> stuff we also got feedback loren saying hey thanks for cjob for sharing this news about the historic win for the Green Party. Yeah, and it's depending on where you're sitting or how you're feeling about this upcoming federal election, this might be a party that you pause to think about a little more. I think that's probably what the Green Party is hoping. So last night, uh, a Green Party candidate in BC had what they're calling a historic moment because he won a seat out of Nanaimo, which puts him in the House of Commons with leader Elizabeth May. And it's the first time they've had two Green Party MPs ever in the House of Commons. And that's raising questions about the future of that party and maybe the impact that could have on this fall's federal election. So to discuss that further, we're joined by University of Manitoba professor and political author Christopher Adams. Good morning. Hi, Lauren. Nice to be on your show with you and Brett. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Is this, you know, it's a historic moment for the fact that there's two of them, but is could this potentially be an even bigger deal for the Green Party in the months ahead, Christopher? Well, it certainly is good news for them. Uh, we, we do know that by-elections, though, uh, people tend to experiment or else they, I mean, they aren't choosing a prime minister when, when they do a vote in, in a by-election. And so uh, I wouldn't read too much into this, but um, I, I think the, the, uh, the fact that the United Nations came out with their uh, um, very, very strong report yesterday that was in the headlines as people were voting in Nanaimo, uh, must have affected uh, voters on, on issues regarding climate change. And secondly, I, I would say that we've seen a surge in, in the media for the Green Party. We saw Prince Edward Island, they formed the official opposition, which is really quite groundbreaking. And now uh, and now two two uh, Green Party members in the in the House. So I think that's one thing. I think also, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, if you, I apologize for this, but as the, um, as the, the SNC-Lavalin issue that has been uh, dogging the, uh, or plaguing the Liberals over the past couple of months, that has a strong impact in British Columbia in that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, was a regional minister, very influential in, in British Columbia. So there might be voters in British Columbia who are looking for 
a center-left place to put their vote and and might be leaving the, the Liberal Party of Canada. So, so it might have an impact on the coming election. We might see a few more members of Parliament voted in through uh, British Columbia. And what does it mean then for the NDP? Because uh, many had favoured them to win the by-election. Well, that, that's true. It's, it's bad news for the NDP. Uh, Jagmeet Singh, who has who's now been elected to Parliament, they're hoping to have some momentum going into uh, the next few months and into the federal election. Now it looks like a very crowded field with, with uh, who's speaking on climate change and on environmental issues. And uh, the Liberals have, have uh, their, their uh, um, carbon tax, and, and we have the NDP that has a strong record on environmental issues at the national level for many years. And now the Green Party, of course, that's their modus operandi, is, is uh, speaking on environmental issues. So it's starting to be a crowded field. Um, Brett, as, as you know, um, during an election, voters choose, uh, make their choice on three, three uh, um, levels. One is who your local candidate is, and uh, secondly, what the party stands for, and thirdly, who the leader is. And so in a general election, voters will be making choices on those three things. Uh, in last night's election, you know, a by-election, you don't have that choice of leader. That's not part of the equation. So then going forward, you know, the Green Party has been saying that their membership is up 15 percent and that they're mm-hmm. seeing strength. You know, their numbers are growing. Does that is it, is that really putting the pressure or more pressure on the Liberals and the NDP more on the left? Because of what you'll end up with is, I presume, a more of a fractured vote. Yeah, that's right. It, it will put pressure on the Liberals, especially. And we saw uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking on, on climate change just uh, today, um, uh, congratulating, he said, all the candidates who ran in the by-election, but also using this as an opportunity to toot his own horn and, and uh, attack the, the Conservatives. So, uh, But one thing, Lorraine, is the, the rules of the game in Canada um, has it that you vote in your constituency or your riding and it's the first past the post. So the Greens might, you know, let's theoretically talk about, okay, a surge in support. They get 15% um, across Canada. And that doesn't win you uh, any ridings. So, and that's been a, a problem that the NDP historically has had too, is, is getting that critical level within specific regions so that you have people elected in, in ridings um, rather than a, a thinly spread uh, support that you're able to focus it in regions, and that produces uh, 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 successful ridings. So we might see that actually a regional push for the Greens in in British Columbia, but we won't see that in a lot of other areas. Could this be uh, potentially, even though the Conservatives didn't win the seat, could this be a potential good thing for the Conservatives? You know, we talked about how the you know the, the centre left and the left might be fractured. Could this yeah. help to galvanize the right as everyone else sort of fights for or fights among themselves for votes? Well, that's right, uh, Brad. The, the um, people were thinking, well, if Jagmeet Singh is is not doing great in the polls, that's good for the Liberals. But I think people weren't really talking about the Greens that much. And so we really do have three parties going in, uh, in, in that area. If you think back to the 1990s, the Liberals in many ways were, were successful under uh, Jean Chrétien because um, the Reform Party was splitting the vote with the Progressive Conservatives in many parts of Canada. And, uh, and it wasn't until the alliance under Harper that they're able to solidify the vote on the centre-right and, and knock out the Liberals. So the same thing is happening on the centre-left in this case. 
All right, Christopher Adam, Adams, University of Manitoba professor and political author, talking with us about the future of the Greens. Thanks for your time, Christopher. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.